great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, my name is Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And we are doing a Sex in the City rewatch episode. But before we get into that, Lauren, you've had a real glow up. Oh, thank you. Yes, I, I got my hair done. Not only do we share a podcast, but now we also share a colorist. Shout out to Casey at Chris McMillan. Honestly, an angel. I felt like Mariah Carey because Casey has two assistants, Vanessa and Chelsea, which I want to propose a question to our listeners. Does everyone have a Chelsea in their life? Because I'm beginning to think everyone I know has a Chelsea and not just like their best friend they do a podcast with. I mean, literally a friend named Chelsea. Everyone except for me. Well, because you are the Chelsea. If you don't have a friend named Chelsea, you are the Chelsea. I should say that I felt like Mariah Carey because Casey and one of her assistants was also drying my hair at the same time. I was like, oh, this is why actresses and singers become fucking monsters. Just when you're like that doted on. Yeah, because that's like the beauty equivalent of being one of those like, what is it like called in racing? You know, when they like pull over and then like 50 people like jump out to like refuel the car. The pit crew. Yes. It's like that. Yeah. It's my Formula One pit crew. Another crucial part of Lauren's glow up this week is the fact that you are now the co-owner of a J.W. Anderson pigeon clutch. Uh, yeah, it's only mine half the time. So it's only half a glow up. <laughs> we are co-owners from the way that you just ogled and, and clutched the bag so tenderly. Something tells me that you will be, it'll, I'll have it like a third of the time and it'll really be yours two thirds of the time. Although nothing fits in it, guys. <laughs> no, nothing. It definitely cannot fit an iPhone. This is a bag that it best can fit a card case a lipstick in a vape pen. There's nothing else. Also, we were really excited because we ordered it from some Spanish boutique called, what was it called? Well, we're going to fuck up this name. Exception? I assume Yeah, Exception with a K because they were like the last person to have it in stock. Yeah, because it's sold out on Essence. It is for pre-order on J.W. Anderson. And I will be purely honest, I wasn't sure if it was a legitimate retailer. That's because it was price lower. But I think that was because of the euro and not because of anything else. Not only is this a real retailer, they are also fans of the podcast because they wrote us a note that ends with P.S. Huge fan of the podcast. (laughs) That truly delighted me. That was the highlight of my week. This has been a great week thus far. I mean, it's been kind of rough for me. Oh, are we going to tell this story? (laughs) Which one? Well, I got home from getting my hair done, and I was re-watching Boogie Nights as it is its 25th anniversary, and I receive a text message at 10 p.m. from your wife that is a screenshot of a text message that just says, the world is shattered, R.I.P. Oprah. And then a text that says, you don't understand the fight that Chelsea and I just got in about this. Okay, well, to back it up, it's been a rough week for me because my two-year-old bulldog was admitted to an animal hospital for four days. I don't want to get into it because it's gross, but... He was so constipated that he had to be hospitalized. And it's fine. He just got released yesterday. He will live. The doctors told me that he has a mega colon. And I was like, why does this sound so familiar? And then I got like a drunken flashback from my youth because 
That was the name of a very popular Fisher Spooner song. I don't know if you remember it. No, no clue. Anyway, so we had just dropped him off at the hospital, thought he needed surgery, very scary. And then Tat's like, oh my God, Oprah died. (laughs) And I was holding my phone. So instantly I knew that it wasn't true because if Oprah actually died, I would get so many push notifications and texts that my phone would like spontaneously combust. So I immediately was like, no, she didn't. Can you please like open your push notifications before telling me that Oprah fucking died? Well, that's not how it was told to me by your wife in our group chat, which is called Thruple. She said you immediately burst into tears and you started screaming at each other. Look, I had been through a lot that day. Yeah. But then she was annoyed at my reaction and was like, why are you freaking out? You don't even know Oprah. And that's what really set me off. To be fair, we are leaving out a crucial detail, which is in that text message, it's a spam text and it has a link from uneasyliquid.com. Yeah, that was part of the fight. I was like, do you actually think that uneasyliquid.com is a reputable news source? You psycho. But somewhere in this fight, which I was not a part of, I was, it was just recited to me late at night in a text message. Your Shake Shack order arrived. You paused the fight so that you could retrieve the food. You evidently ran back upstairs and locked the, yes. you slammed the bedroom door shut and then held the food hostage from your wife. Okay, I did that for like two seconds. Then I realized how idiotic I was and was like, okay, we got to stop this. <laughs> So dumb. Anyway. But but I Googled it and it is, I guess this spam text origin is from earlier in the summer when (laughs) everyone was like, is Oprah dead? And then I went to Twitter and for some reason last Friday it got sent out again. So fucked up. I think part of my anger was the fact that I think when you're in a long-term relationship, it's like you have to be so conscious of whether or not you're triggering the other person and like what their specific issues are. And I think I was just offended. Like you didn't think that this would be the absolute worst thing that you could say to me right now. Well, I mean, you don't know Oprah, so. (laughs) Fuck off. There's still time. I heard that she was dining at San Vicente Bungalows last night, so she's not far. But I can imagine how that would be stressful for you. Your son was in the hospital and your spiritual mother you thought had passed away. I didn't actually think. That's the thing. I didn't think. I was just pissed. That she would just say that out loud. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I feel like we always drag Tat on the pod because she is just a very funny person but it's actually our five-year anniversary this week i was gonna say that we (laughs) were recording this early because you're gonna be celebrating your anniversary no it's amazing i i don't know where the time has gone at all but she's truly the best person to be married to so i feel very lucky hey now i'm feeling offended (laughs) i'll work to be more conscious of your triggers as well Actually, I am very conscious of your triggers. (laughs) (laughs) Very conscious. Most of them involve parking. Yeah. But anyway, should we talk about this episode? Oh, wait. Before we do that, I have one more thing to say. Back to the J.W. Anderson pigeon bag. I know that someone listening must know J-Dubs. And I know he's a really busy guy, but surely he could take like a minute to call into the hotline and just give us a little background about the thought process behind this now iconic bag. Like, 
How did he get it produced? What does he think about SJP wearing it on And Just Like That? I mean, he's a gay man in his 30s, so obviously he's psyched. But, you know, I would love to hear from him. I thought you wanted a direct line because the few times we've opened this bag in the three days we've had it, we already know that the wing is going to fall off. So I thought <laughs> the you wing just... is not going to fall off. Look, it could fall off. I feel like you should be able to buy wing refills yeah. on jwanderson.com. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, we do need a direct line to him for a multitude of reasons. So just putting that out to the universe. So we are doing an episode from season six called The Domino Effect because a fuckette called in and was recently watching it and was like, you guys should watch it and do it. And it was the most recent suggestion we got. So we were like, sure. I thought this episode happened in season four, just by name only. Same. I could not believe it was in season six. I think I went from season three even and worked my way up. Because it feels like it's in line with the back half of season four with titles like all the glitters and I love NY and, and that kind of thing. A Vogue idea. It seemed like a domino effect would be <laughs> in between those episodes. Totally. But it is the penultimate episode of season 6A. Because if you remember, they split season 6 up. But see, that only happened when it went to DVD. Like when we were watching it as it was happening, it wasn't like this is 6A and 6B. It was like season 6 and there was just like a long break. Yes, which they started doing in, you're correct, in season three. But you're right. It is a total marketing thing to split it up and denote it as 6A and 6B. Why not just make it seven seasons? Season five was like two episodes, you know? I don't know. This episode is in between some doozies. So this episode comes after Boy Interrupted, which we have done previously, which is the David Duchovny mental institution episode. Yeah. The One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest of Sex in the City episodes. And then it's the episode before the season finale one, which is the introduction of Petrovsky. Right. So this episode begins with Carrie and Mr. Big on a date. Or not on a date. They're not dating. He's visiting from Napa. And Carrie looks so hot in this scene, didn't you think? Yeah, I would say this is a top 10 carry outfit that doesn't get spoken about enough. It really doesn't. She's wearing a really slinky Paco Rabanne dress that like gives major jazz age energy. But then she's wearing a sheer bra that's pretty much completely exposed. Like tits are out. And I realized that like she saves her hottest and most slutty outfits for when she's having dinner with her ex-boyfriends because the other one was in Sex and the City 2 when she met Aiden at his hotel in Abu Dhabi. She does like a chesty outfit. I was thinking that, you know, we know she has a habit of dressing thoughty in inappropriate situations, but dressing slutty to have dinner with your fuckboy ex is one of the times where it is warranted. Yeah, she looks great. And uh, we soon learn that Big is back in town because he's having a angioplasty. I'm having a hard thing done. To which Carrie immediately bursts into tears. No tears, though. No, She's crying. I know. I, know. I didn't want to say that because I thought it would be rude. But yeah, no tears at all. I'm going to say it. But it kind of, it did feel like, was it supposed to have a comedic beat throughout? Because I kind of think it was. Like, it was, right? Like, 
she knows how to sob. Like we saw her in and just like that season one, episode one. Well, I was going to say to you, this is not and just like that. This is funny sex in the city. So right. yes, it's for comedic effect. And there's a lot of great dialogue in it. Big ask the waiter for some extra napkins and violins. <laughs> On the other side of town, Robert is cooking Miranda enchiladas, which is like the one thing he knows how to make. Yeah, what is it about Sex in the City boyfriends cooking Mexican food or very like Americanized Mexican food in their girlfriends' kitchens who don't cook? Because I'm thinking of when did that happen? Aiden and the fajitas. Fuck oh, the fajitas. Right, right, the fajitas, of course. Yeah, I mean, I would be psyched if I came home and this man was making me enchiladas. When he dips his fingers in the enchilada sauce and puts them in Miranda's mouth, that did something to me. (laughs) Yeah, that was hot. This is really just like an incredible period for Miranda. I wish it lasted longer. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. But maybe I lived in New York in my 20s, but I feel like the only people who actually use their kitchen to cook in New York is Allison Roman. (laughs) Totally. Also, does she have a dishwasher yet? Because I feel like we need to make that happen. Are we talking about Alison Roman or Miranda? Alison Roman, of which we are subscribers to her newsletter. Yeah, she moved to a much better apartment that she films in. And yes, there is a dishwasher. There's a bigger fridge. Okay, good for her. I was worried. So happy for her. So... Miranda is so touched by the fact that this man is cooking for her as any workaholic who doesn't cook would be that she decides to take the next day off. Well, he does request that of her. What do you think Miranda's love language is? Is it acts of service? It's certainly not words of affirmation. (laughs) No, I have no fucking clue. But she did take the day off. And like, this is the best reason to call in sick to work. So that your ex who you kind of secretly want to make jealous walks in on you having sex with a hot man? No, just so you can like stay home having sex with a hot man. Like that's way cooler than like a mental health day. That's true. Although I I assume that pleasure self or with someone else is always involved in a mental health day. So yeah, Miranda and Robert are having sex. Steve comes by. Why did he come by her apartment? Because something that Brady needed, some medication or pacifier or something. Many of pornos have started this exact way. (laughs) Yeah, except it doesn't seem like Steve wants to be a cuck. It definitely has a cuckold aesthetic, which is difficult for us to talk about given the racial aspect of it but it's certainly the intention of the people who wrote this episode this episode was written by julie rottenberg and elisa zersky who are two of the og writers that were also writers on and just like that right which there's a lot of i feel like elements that were in and just like that or kind of forgotten about for and just like that that we'll get into later so i find it interesting that they wrote this episode and wrote on and just like that so steve attempts to run away from this sexual encounter as you would and runs into the door frame hits his nose his nose starts bleeding and like Have you ever thought about the fact that, like, Robert, like, leaps over the bed to get to Steve? Robert is jumping like he's clearing a hurdle at the fucking Olympics or something to get to this man. It's like, calm down. He just has a nosebleed. Yeah, but that's that Nick's medic uh, instinct jumping in there. I thought it was more impressive that he threw his boxers on and probably would still clearly be having a hard-on as he's standing (laughs) over Steve. 
Uh, so yeah, then he humiliates Steve further by sticking a tampon in his nose to stop the bleeding. As Samantha says, well, you've won. Yeah. Steve really did look so sad and pathetic in that moment. But he gets his moment in the end. Yeah. Then cut to the brunch scene where Miranda admits that she took pleasure in the whole thing. So maybe she has the cuckold fetish and no one else does. (sighs) It's it's tough because it's presented in and just like that of like, oh, these two never loved each other. But there's a moment later in the episode where there's clearly some yearning. But I love how Charlotte is like, you know, it's okay that you took pleasure in that moment because you didn't like set this up intentionally. And then she's like, or did you? It's like, what version of Miranda is that? The one where she's more like Sharon Stone's character in Basic Instinct? Like, insane. I was going to say, or Isabella Pair in every film. Yeah, it's very like piano teacher behavior. Oh my God, someone, this is an aside, but someone DM'd my personal account of at and was like, hey, I'm about to get on a plane for a bachelorette weekend or like a wedding weekend. Should I watch the piano teacher on the plane? Like, I was no. like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> also, like, don't, you don't know who's sitting next to you. Like, you don't want to traumatize them. Although I am going to New York next week and I will be there for the Isabel Pair uh, film forum and the piano teacher lines up with the time that I'm there. Oh, amazing. Yeah, to anyone in New York, you got to see this retrospective. There are some incredible films and uh yeah, I would be there every day if I still lived in New York. Anyway. Yeah, so Carrie cries again. Is it weird that she cries more in this episode than she did when Big actually dies? Also, did this episode foreshadow Big's heart attack? Let us discuss. Oh, right. I didn't even think about that. He dies of a heart attack. Right. I forgot he even had a heart thing. That's weird because before this came out, when we were talking about like, what would they do with Samantha? Like, how would they write her off? Everyone always went to like, oh, well, the breast cancer could come back. But it's like, yeah, why did we not think that Mr. Big's heart issue in season six could be related to his death? And then just like that. Well, he got the blockage cleared. What happened? I love how Carrie says Big's here to deal with the heart thing. And Miranda is like, what? Is he on the wait list to get one? It seems like they've danced around this with Big being a sociopath, as we've often discussed. But this is the first time where it's all around, does he have a heart? And it's just understood like, oh, this man has no heart. And it's like, well, I don't know about that. Like, he's an asshole, but... Yeah, the thesis of this episode is that this man doesn't have a heart. Like, that's where we end things. Yeah. Anyway, then Bitsy Von Muffling rocks up, flaunting her geriatric pregnancy. I don't think we got this answered in just like that either. Was the child named Judy or Barbara? (laughs) Or is it Judy Barbara? Yeah, I wonder. Her look is wild. Like, she looks like an extra in Hairspray or something. But even the early aughts was still a very fraught time for maternity chic. Like, I don't think there were even... I think it was like Pee in the Pod was the hippest pregnancy brand. Like, I don't think we were even doing ruching on shirts in 2004 yet for pregnant women. Yeah, but she looks like very 60s in a cartoon character kind of way. It's kind of a good pregnancy look. If you can't pull off the visible belly, which seems to be the thing in the fashion world now. In in this post-Rihanna. Yeah, the Rihanna effect. Yeah. Well, this is of interest to Charlotte because what Bitsy Von Muffling introduces is that she 
got pregnant because she went to a acupuncturist that all the the hip women trying to get pregnant go to and they get pregnant instantly which did you see that hillary swank is pregnant at 48 no i had assumed it was a surrogate it's not at 48 she got pregnant with twins Hmm, she's 48 damn i can't can't believe that gwyneth paltrow is 50 did you hear this I did hear it. I also know that she's born in 1972, so it's not that hard to believe. It also means we're getting older, which is probably why we're like, no, Quinn's Paltrow can't be 50. That means we're anyway. Almost 50. <laughs> Closer to 50 than not. Yeah. Ugh, yikes. So Carrie cries again. She's like, why am I crying? And Samantha, for some reason, doesn't go, and why are no tears coming out? <laughs> She goes to visit Big after his surgery. This is a thoughty look to go visit someone in a hospital, to have visible green bra going on in the back. Well, it's a lot of exposed skin for a hospital. Yes. she. Yeah, she's wearing some sort of like plaid apron dress with, I forget, a green bra, a purple bra. It's a green bra. And she knows she's going to the hospital. It's not like she got an emergency call and had to leave Samantha and run across town to go to the hospital. This was a planned visit. Yeah, but Mr. Big seems fine after his surgery. Nothing to write home about. I think the scene is just to establish, well, for Carrie to cry once again and for the nurse to understandably confuse her for his wife. Meanwhile, Samantha is teaching Smith Jared how to fuck. I was wondering why this scene exists, and then I understood in the in the following scene, but she's very it's very like fucking by the numbers. Well, she's also apparently forcing him to read some book that I've never noticed before called The Clitoral Truth. Do you think Kim Cattrall, who wrote <laughs> what was the sex book she wrote? Oh fuck. Something the art of the female orgasm. Oh, Satisfaction, the art of the female orgasm. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay. I got the important part. Yeah, very on brand for Kim Cattrall. But this is all to establish the following day when they're walking together. Smith attempts to hold her hand, of which Samantha thinks that's the most vile thing one can do. Yeah, she's so repulsed that she like tries to get away from him and then stumbles into like the cellar of a bodega, which is every New Yorker's worst nightmare. I mean that and like... Getting pushed onto the train tracks? Yeah, I was going to say getting hit by a falling air conditioner, but yeah, both of those things, I think. And then a lower grade version of that is when... Dying alone in your apartment and getting eaten by rats. Okay, I was going to say when like water hits your face and you're like, I fucking hope that was from an air conditioner. (laughs) There's a lot of scenes in this episode in a post and just like that world and just the way that television is now. It's interesting watching these episodes and it's like they pack in a lot in 27 minutes. Yeah, they really do. Because then we're we're back in Soho. Samantha is walking with not a full boot on her foot, but just like a soft cast. Yeah, I love how she says, I have a newfound sympathy for the disabled, which is a line that would never be on in just like that. Actually, maybe Seema would say that. And then someone would correct her. Yeah. The outfit that Carrie is wearing, I definitely fell prey to this and thought that fedoras were probably the chicest thing. So did you just end up looking like pink? Yeah, or worse, like a divorced dad living in Calabasas. Yeah, rough. Samantha realizes that she's falling for Smith because she says, I didn't fuck a single, then she pauses, or a married guy while he was gone. (laughs) This is the dialogue I, I miss. I know, it's so good. So then we get 
the I couldn't help but wonder of the episode. Do you want to read it or I will? I feel like I always fuck it up when I try and read it. So go for it. Also, if you haven't rewatched this episode, just imagine that Carrie is biting into an apple while this voiceover is happening. (laughs) If New York City's signature fruit is the apple, then its signature sound is the ambulance. It seems like all day, every day, people are getting hurt and the whole city has to hear about it. But what about the injuries that don't get a siren? First of all, what? Whether you're falling into a hole in the middle of the street or possibly falling back in love, just how dangerous is an open heart? Okay, it's not her best work, but to be fair, she has a weekly column and it's been established that she's been doing it for years. I do want to say, I feel like every episode we have done, like I don't remember an episode we've done of the OG series where I've been like, that's a good I couldn't help but wonder. I feel like every time we equivocate and we're like, well, this wasn't her best. It's true. It's like when you actually like write them down and read them instead of just like absorb them while they're happening on the show and while Sarah Jessica Parker is saying them, you realize that she's not a good writer. And also, if Samantha did have an open heart, she would have held Smith's hand. It's the fact that Samantha doesn't have an open heart is why she fell into a hole in the middle of the street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Also, Carrie's falling back in love with Big. Like, that's what she's admitting in this column. Yeah. She is like, I'm possibly falling back in love. Who's to say? Or is that supposed to be about Miranda and Steve? I think I thought that it was about Carrie, but yeah, it also applies to Miranda and Steve. This episode's confusing. Anyway, somehow this confusion or maybe Carrie equally was like, oh, this is not a very good line. I need some more material. She visits Big, who has checked himself out of the hospital and is staying at the Four Seasons. And we get Candy Stripper or Candy Striper, Carrie. Yeah, her alter ego, Candy, the Candy Striper. (laughs) Not a candy stripper, as Big calls her. So even though we didn't see this, I get the feeling that Carrie and Big were really into role play, which is probably why... No, they're not. What kind of role play are they doing? No, I'm saying when they were together in season two, like for her to just show up as this, it makes me think that they established when they were together in like season two, even though we didn't see it, they must have been into role play. Well, you know what? Actually, we've seen her do role play a couple times before. She was the French woman with the McDonald's and then she was the dominatrix. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's why she probably thought that that French girl routine was going to work. I'm saying in between scenes we didn't see, I think there was, I don't know. There was some like Princess Leia and the gold bikini shit going on. <laughs> Ooh, I'm just imagining Mr. Big as Jabba the Hutt. I would assume that Big would think he's a he's Han Solo, but sure. <laughs> this is kind of... But it's played for comedy, right? This isn't actually... There's nothing erotic about this. I mean, with Sarah Jessica Parker's banging body, like it is cruel to do. As Big says, I can't get excited about anything. Also... Where does this costume come from? Wait, what do you mean? Like, where does this candy striper outfit come from? I'm trying to think of what vintage store she would have gone to. Or was this an old Halloween costume that she found in the back of her closet? Look, we have to suspend our disbelief here. But yeah, she brought him dominoes, hence uh, the title of this episode. It's a whole bag of PG fun. And... It feels like a a daddy MPK touch to say Domino's classic and Dayglow, which is that Dayglow? They're just red. 
But yeah, I don't know. that. I miss that. She also has a lollipop, which, where did she go? That Essex Street candy shop? <laughs> Dylan's Candy Bar wasn't open by then. Yeah, she went to uh, Economy Candy. That's what it's called. You know what? That's where she got, she went to Economy Candy and then she got the candy striper thing at one of those vintage stores on uh, whatever street Economy Candy is on. I think Ludlow. Rivington. Right. Yeah, this is a Rivington Hall for sure. Then we get the introduction of Debbie. Is there right? A- is there anything more embarrassing than falling alone? I guess there's falling alone in front of people that you actually know, and then there's falling alone in front of people you know, and then your underwear is sh- underwear is showing. Yeah, that was a perfect detail in this. So Miranda and Steve are meeting at the park with their respective partners. Steve's girlfriend is hot and Miranda trips and and yeah, her her but white granny panties are exposed. But it's perfect casting because Debbie is Queen's hot. Like she's objectively hot, but it's like, oh yeah, this would be this is the dream girl for Steve. Totally. She's a Queen's 10. Yeah. And like Miranda can't compete in the same way and vice versa. Well, and then Steve cannot compete with Robert in lifestyle. I will say that Debbie and Steve make sense in a way that Robert and Miranda do not as much as we love Miranda and Robert together. Yeah, no, it it doesn't really make sense. We've missed in this, as I've noticed. Oh, Charlotte's entire acupuncture plot line. And I've noticed when we rewatch these episodes that one of the girls is usually getting shortchanged in the storyline. And this episode, it is Charlotte whose story... It's almost always Charlotte, which which sucks. Which is a shame because Kristen is a brilliant, dramatic, and comedic actress. So brilliant. Which is, we see in this episode when she cannot block out all the noises and she runs out in the waiting room in her bra with all the acupuncture needles. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, then we get, we're back to Smith, Jared, and Samantha walking on the street. For someone who doesn't want to hold hands, she puts herself in these positions where she's going to have to hold Smith, Jared's hand. She also looks really hot. She's in like a hot pink bodycon dress, classic Samantha. And he's just straight with her, which made us fall in love with Smith, Jared, and their dynamic in the first place because he's forceful and he has this confidence, but it's because he has such respect for her. He's like, look, I like you. I'm going to hold your hand. Oh my God. Only in this moment am I remembering that like years ago, we bought that absolute hunk poster. Remember? Where is that? It's in the office. It's just like in a tube? I think so. I believe we bought this at an online auction during one of your birthdays. I just figured like we should buy it. We'll find something to do with it. Now I realize it's just been sitting there collecting dust. I know. We have so much ephemera. We do need to go back out on tour just (laughs) because so we can display these things. Yeah, we could have a a traveling exhibition at this point. (laughs) So she acquiesces and holds his hand, right? Yeah. Again, not much of a a storyline for Samantha, but it's cute. But, you know, it's like... Miranda and Carrie. I mean, Miranda and Carrie usually get the good storylines, let's be honest. Do you think Kim Cattrall demanded the breast cancer plot line? Because that happens in 6B. I feel like they they had to give her something dramatic at some point. Yes. They were just running out of time. Quite literally. All I could think about with Samantha's cancer plot line is Petrovsky being like, yes, your friend with cancer. (laughs) My friend with cancer died. (laughs) Ugh. 
This is when Carrie and Big are putting the dominoes together. Big makes the joke, you, me, and the early bird special. He then says to her, life's too short. What are we doing? And it's like, I don't know, Big. What are we doing? Why are we saying this right now? It feels cruel. Yeah. Well, Carrie doesn't really follow up. And then he doesn't really follow through because he wakes up the next day and is kind of his normal asshole self. Well, spoiler alert. She has a voiceover where she's like, his heart is finally unblocked. But then I guess maybe this was a fever-induced confession because he immediately gets lightheaded and has to go to bed and they fall asleep together. And then when they wake up, because Carrie has like lovingly stacked all of these dominoes vertically. Thank God she didn't do it horizontally. (laughs) What a waste of time. Yeah, big... um, just casually knocks them over as he's walking to the bathroom, which I think was a really good way of visualizing that shift from the night before to the next day. Well, her voiceover says the shift was so imperceptible that only I would notice it. It's like, no, Carrie, we all noticed. Like, his aloofness towards you is deafening. Yeah, it's true. Also, I have a bone to pick about Big's breakfast order and it's a general (laughs) pet peeve of mine like when you go to a diner or you're staying what is his breakfast order he just wants cornflakes and it's like you're at the fucking four seasons like order something you can't make like eggs benedict I just feel like a guy wouldn't order just cornflakes you know what I mean I don't know like that seems like a woman's order not that a man can't just eat cornflakes but yeah to your point it's like he wants like a full breakfast he wants like breakfast potatoes sausage bacon or can he not have that post-surgery oh maybe yeah he's on some sort of bland diet or something we also get a scene between Miranda and Steve where there's a lot of miscommunication where Steve goes that was fun she goes yeah, it was funny. And then they go, wait, did you say fun or funny? Which felt very Woody Allen-esque. But this is what annoys me about it and just like that is <laughs> to bring it back to Lauren's favorite topic. But because I feel like I got gaslit by, by and just like that, okay? Because that scene, that end scene between Miranda and Steve shows like there was a sustained storyline of Steve and Miranda yearning for each other. And I'm fine with them falling out of love, but and just like that and Daddy MPK presents it like they never loved each other. No, they definitely did. <sighs> I guess he should have stuck with Debbie. Yeah. I stand by they should have broken them up before and just like that started and had them cohabitating because they were cohabitating. Yeah. So like do that breakup in front of us. No, it's true. It wasn't really necessary. Also, this episode ends with a Zero Seven song that was very omnipresent in the early 2000s. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, what I wrote down was this not Sade Sade song. I just think of it as spa music personally. Like I don't think of it as a particularly like emotional song. So I feel like using it here is a little bit weird. Like it could have used something a little more emotional like Mr. Big-esque Moon River vibes whereas this seems like a song that like would be playing like when Samantha's getting a colonic or something right I also feel like the song played in every boutique hotel in the early aughts every single one and to this day we're missing that the the button on Charlotte's storyline is that she's able to use her skills from acupuncture to block out Bitsy Von Muffling who is bitching at her about getting pregnant and such I love how we just forgot about that entire 
plot line. If I didn't write it down <laughs> in these notes, I would have forgotten myself. So what's your ranking? It was a solid episode. It wasn't, you know, it's no splat. Right. Seven Manolos? Six and a half? Yeah, maybe it's six and a half Manolos. It's certainly... The Miranda Roberts stuff is very good. Yeah, it's like, it's an above average episode. I don't know. I think it's kind of average. I mean, I think there's no bad Sex in the City episodes, so they're all good, but... Sex in the City is like pizza? I think the end, it just ends on a weird note. It has the Sex in the City equivalent of like a film noir ending. You know what I mean? Right. Well, Carrie goes, for the first time all week, I didn't feel like crying. And that Big's heart shut all the way back down. Which, in the structure of the show, I this is when I really was watching it live as it was airing. It felt like that was going to be the final beat a Big. And that felt satisfying because you knew the next episode was going to be her meeting Petrovsky, which felt like that was going to be potentially her journey, her end. And they he is a great boyfriend until they decide in that last episode, like, he's a fucking piece of shit. And that turn happens real quick. Well, the turn, I think, happened in Splat, right? The dinner party. Yeah. He doesn't like Billy Joel. To be fair, it's never been established. Or he that... doesn't know who Billy Joel is. It's not even that he doesn't like him. He's like, who? We've definitely been over this. And, like, he partied with him at Studio 54. He definitely fucking knows who Billy Joel is. If he was, if Oscar De La Renta is a friend, Billy Joel is a friend. <laughs> yeah, he's seen, um, like, Billy Joel do Piano Man just impromptu at Oscar's townhouse, you know? <laughs> do you remember watching this when the episode came out? This specific episode? Yeah. No. I mean... No, I, I remember watching just the show as it was happening, yeah. but I don't really have a lot of memories tied to specific episodes apart from the finale just because it was such a big deal. But at this point, right, this is the first part of what we knew was going to be the end of the series. Did you feel like at this point her and Big were going to get together? Because I, I, I mean, I, I doubt it, but I knew they had to wrap it up somehow. Yeah, because this feels like a satisfying plot line with Big. Yeah. But as we know, Daddy MPK can't help himself. And this was always, right, this is the dividing line between Darren Stark and Candace Bushnell and Daddy MPK, which is Big was supposed to be a character that was going to end at the end of season two. Whenever, him marrying Natasha was supposed to be the last moment. Yeah, in Candace Bushnell's real life, it did end at a certain point. Yes. But Daddy MPK wanted to make this a fairy tale. So they were always going to end up together. And so they just had to keep giving her boyfriends until that point. Yeah. Kind of like how Lost had to keep just making up stories about the <laughs> island. They had to just keep giving Carrie good enough boyfriends that then turned shitty. True. All right. Well, is there anything else to say? No. I mean, if you call in, we'll probably do the episode that you request i have no i i like this i like being at the mercy of our fuck ads about what what we should watch next yeah same perhaps a season one episode just because we've never done we've never one. done it yeah we need to do that um perhaps the baby shower episode that stands out sure let's do that all right sorry guys you don't need to call <laughs> yeah, never mind we've decided to do the baby shower episode from season one all right, we'll be back next week where we'll, we will have finally seen Tar. So God bless. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.